It's my joy to start off with blessing you all. This is not nothing. Last week, I was healed whilst giving the blessing. I, I had this hiccups. I was trying to deal with it as much as I could beforehand. And I was getting my apologies ready for all of you all as I was going to preach last week with these uncontrollable hiccups. I hiccuped on that step right there as I was walking up. I started giving the blessing, and when I said about being healed in your body, I was, I was fighting it, and I never hiccuped at one point during the time. It was just, uh, just praise God for that. I'm actually hearing more stories than usual about healings and things like that. Oh, guys, blessing, this blessing stuff is real, and so get ready to receive in faith this, this blessing for today. I bless you now. In the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully. That you would be healed in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, and in your spirit. That you would know the guidance and help of God in this time. That you would flourish and prevail in your circumstances, in the context that you're living through right now. And that you would know the, the love, the joy, the hope. And the peace that comes from God. May that be true for you. May you experience all that now. In the name of Jesus, may it be. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back to our series entitled The Bible Land and Biblical Faith. Recently, we've been following the journey of Abraham as he has moved to the promised land and followed his first couple stops. Uh, this map, by the way, of, of just remembering where we're at, we first talked about Abraham's first stop, a place called Shechem. And that is circled in blue on the map at the top. And then you, you move down that same patriarchal highway to his second stop, which is around the purple triangle. And that is the area of Benjamin, which we talked about last week um, in that, that purple area. And today we're coming up to a third significant stop on Abraham's journey, um, the area of Hebron, which is down uh, south, still on that same main north-south road, the only and therefore the most major north-south road in the heartland of the area uh, another significant location now just laying my cards on the table I was not thinking of talking about this area uh, I mapped out the series and I did not I kind of lumped this in with with other with other things and yet I had this agitating question plaguing me for the last the last little bit the last couple weeks or so and this agitating question pushed me to to redesign the message series and and make sure that this got included and 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 here is the agitating question here's the question I couldn't get past the one that I was kept chewing on Caleb Caleb right Caleb was one of the 12 spies and, and Caleb uh, spied out the entirety of the promised land. Here's, here's a, a general root of, of the promised land. He explored, and he and those 12 spies explored, like, all the way up, not just the heartland, but all the way up to the Sea of Galilee in the north. And not just there, beyond that, to, and, and well beyond the tribe of Dan, which was the most northern tribe. They, they explored this massive, massive area, the promised land beyond. The further north you get, the more beautiful, the more green, the more water, the more lush. Uh, there's amazing uh, fortress cities up there that he would have seen at his time before they burned them down, like Hazor and, and places like that. He, he, he goes through the whole land, and then he comes back, and they give their report, and, and then Caleb uh, asks for Hebron for himself. Okay, he has spied the whole of the land, 
And his first pick, his first choice of locations for himself was this place called, called Hebron. And I'm like, what am I missing? What am I missing when I'm thinking about this place? And so I got exploring it. I, start, I got looking into it. And, and, and I just wanted to know why. What is the deal with this place that made it so significant that the one who saw everything first picked this place? Well, let's find out. Let's find out why this is so significant. Here's another map here. Just, just at a very general, a general observation point. Hebron is the place where all the southern routes go through in order to go into the heartland. So if you're coming from Egypt, or if you're coming from Philistia, or you're coming from Arabia, or from Edom on the other side of the Dead Sea, you're going to be coming around, and you're going to be coming into the heartland, and you're going to cross through. You have to go past Hebron. It is, it's this very significant strategic place on, that's at the southern gateway to this patriarch highway here. Hebron, in that sense, it guards the entrance to the land, and it, gets the, it has the responsibilities and perks of this placement. It gets the perks being all the trade routes going into the heart of the land from the south are going to go past Hebron. And so they're going to they're have that benefit. But also, it needs to be, it needs to be a, a mighty city, a fortified location, a, a very strong location because the, the wars are going to come up through here. The, the enemy armies are going to want to come up through, through this way. So it's strategic. It's a, it's a very strategic, significant city, and as we're going to discover, it was strong. It was a strong place, not just a, a great place, not just a strategic place, but it was strong. Um, an, another perk of this, uh, it has a strong spiritual heritage, as we're going to talk about in a few moments, just like some of the other locations that, that they would have spied out. Also, Hebron was, was universally uh, looked at as, as one of the most royal best cities of the land, and it became a royal city. David was king here for seven and a half years before they took Jerusalem. This was his choice, his first uh, choice of, of capital cities for, for, for the country. So, okay, there's, there's a little bit of whys, but, but, but that doesn't really capture it. That's just, that's just a shallow survey here. Why was, to Caleb, this the best part of the land? I kind of think of Hebron as, because it's down south, it's a little bit more of a deserty place. But, but that's not what it's like. It's actually amazing. Here's a picture. Here's a picture of the area around Hebron. And, and I, I'm just surprised at this first, first picture. It, it's not a desert. It's a vineyard. It is this lush vineyard area. Um, it's, it's, I guess I'm reminded in the story of Caleb, this is where the 12 spies, they find this massive cluster of grapes here at Hebron in this area. And they, they take these grapes, they cut it, they carry it on a pole back to show to the nation that the land that God is bringing them in is amazing. It's, it's, it's flowing with milk. It is, it is this amazing land. The grapes were from this this area around Hebron. Another picture of the vineyards, this time it's more in the autumn, after the dry season, but still beautiful uh, vineyard hills. It's, it's just this, uh, it's this plateau all, all around where this, this city is. Today, here's a picture of the hill that Hebron sits on. It's just covered with uh, Palestinian urban sprawl. And, and even though it's mostly urban sprawl, there has been more archaeology done here um, for instance, they have found a lot of the ancient wall that would have been there in Caleb's day and in Abraham's day even. 
So here's a picture. Now, this wall would have been massive, uh, massive in, in its day. It was about 25 feet tall. And plus, it's, it's situated on this dominant, amazing hill. Like, it's just the most perfect hill location for this southern entrance. You have this huge wall on this hill, uh, just dominating the area. Uh, it would have been very intimidating. A very mighty, mighty city. Just like a royal, ancient, mighty city. There was these huge stones used in its, its construction, some of which were as much as two meters across. And, and this wall has been called at times the wall of giants. The wall of giants. And maybe because the stones are big. Maybe also, if you remember in, in the book of Joshua, before God's people take the land, this city, it, was, it had giants living there. Now, not Lord of the Rings giants or anything like that. Just Big, bigger people, bigger people, uh, the sons of Anak, a uh, tall, strong guy. And so they lived there, and we read about them in Joshua chapter 11, chapter 14, chapter 15. Uh, but, it, but it continues to carry this, this name of the wall of giants. So this is a mighty city, right? Very strategically located, this royal city, lush vineyards everywhere. But, but what I want to talk about today, what I want to remind you is, is some of the biblical events that, that took place at, at this location. And so I want to tell you briefly the stories of three people and their connection to this city. I want to talk about Abraham around 2000 BC. I want to talk about Caleb around 1450 BC. His story, uh, you know, is, you know it, it's over several decades. And then I want to talk about King David around 1000 BC. And these three stories are about 500 years apart, but all connected to this area of, of, of Hebron. I'm going to start with David. We're going to go from, from closest to our time, back in time, and we're going to end with Abraham. But, but back, let's talk about David for a second, 1000 BC. Now, as you might remember, when David was a teenager, he was anointed. He was anointed to be the future king of the nation, of all the nation. Samuel the prophet anointed him and declared that he is going to be the future king. But he doesn't become king right away, unlike Saul when he was anointed. He doesn't become king right away, and so he has to wait. And he waits for, for years. And, and in fact, some of his waiting years, now I say some years, we're talking like 15 or more years, right? From a teenager until he's 30. He, he's, he's waiting through some good moments, but also some awful moments, some awful moments while he's waiting. Sometimes he's on the run for his life. Sometimes he is hunted down. Sometimes he's being betrayed by his own tribe, by his own people. He's being mistreated. He's being conned. He's being lied to. I mean, waiting is no fun, but David has a particularly awful experience in, in his times, in his time of waiting. And then something even worse happens. It, it seems like, or at least it would be to me. He, he finally comes to the moment that he's been waiting for for maybe 15 or more years. And King Saul dies. And it's not his fault. His, he, he dies and his son, three oldest sons, they die. And that opens the way for God's promises for him to be fulfilled. And, and David thinks, okay, great, now is the time. And he goes to Hebron. And he gets anointed king after 15 years of waiting. But major, major, majorly disappointingly, 
he, the whole nation does not accept his kingship, only one tribe. Only the tribe of Judah acknowledges his kingship. And so he has to wait even longer for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Because, da because David, um, David was king of this, of this one tribe, but Ishbosheth, a guy who was one of Saul's son, he tried to establish his kingship over the rest of the tribes, and then there was a civil war, and there's these battles, and it was messy, and it was awful for seven years, for seven and a half years maybe. Seven, seven and a half years of this, of this civil war. And then finally... Ishbosheth gets murdered. He gets betrayed and murdered. He's assassinated by his own people. And these assassins take his head and, and they bring it down to David, who's, who's in Hebron. And they think that David's going to be excited because they have opened the way for David to become king now of the whole nation and they've got rid of his enemy. But da David was not happy to, to identify with these assassins and he didn't want anybody to believe that he was at fault for this. And so he killed those assassins and they, he hung their bodies at this pool. At this pool, he hung out their bodies, and basically he just was like, as everybody was gathering to the water source in the area, everyone needs to know, I had nothing to do with this. These were not my assassins. I am innocent of this. I do not, I, David is a, not a fan of assassinating kings, right? Before he's king or, or ever. And so uh, they, get, they get hung there. But as far as I can tell, David had to wait for about 15 years. Before, uh, before he was able to become king of Judah. And that was through lots and lots of awful. And then he had to wait another seven and a half years before the whole nation accepted his, his kingship. And that period of time was battles and conflict and civil war. He had to wait about 22 and a half years. 22 and a half years or more. Waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in his life. And the last seven and a half years of those uh, are taking place at Hebron here. It's also the place where he starts to see God's fulfillment um, of his promises actually come to be. Many of the God would you please help me psalms in the Bible uh, take place in those 22 and a half years where David is waiting. Where he's waiting for God um, to, to bring about his promises in his life. Okay, so that's David. Now going backwards in time, uh, 450 years or so, to Caleb. Caleb about 1445 B.C., 1410 B.C., in that sort of time zone. This is another story of long years of waiting. See, Caleb had spied out the land, as we talked about. And he found these incredible grapes uh, very, at this very important location at Hebron. He found the grapes basically right around where this is. Right, right, right where this is. Now, this is called the Valley of Eshkol in the spy story. Um, it is at the exact same place where Abraham lived at the Oak of Memre. Like, like those are the same locations. I know that they have different names, uh, but I'm just helping you here. It's the same, it's the same valley um, same valley. So uh, they would say that this is the oak. This is Abraham's oak that he, he lived, <laughs> lived by. I have my doubts, but you know, it's an oak. It would have been within 100 meters of here. It's, it's right here somewhere. Uh, you know, it's 3,000 years ago. Um, so anyways, it would have been right around here somewhere. Also the same place that Caleb would have found the grapes from. Same, same location. So Caleb, he spies out the land 
And then he asks for Hebron. And he has to wait 40 years. 40 years while the nation paid the price for their lack of faith. Not Caleb's lack of faith. 40 years he had, to, he had to spend of his life waiting for people to die. 40 years of his life waiting, just waiting because other people had sinned. Because other people didn't have the faith that he had. Because other people wouldn't trust God uh, to, with, his, with his promises. And so he had to wait, Caleb had to wait 40 years of his life before he could go in and receive this, this land that was promised to him. Finally, after 40 years, uh, Joshua blesses him and, and he takes the land. He trusted God with, with his age. That at age 80, he would still be strong enough to receive the promises of God and enjoy the promises of God. But yeah, the story of Caleb, decades of waiting, decades of delays because of other people's sin before finally receiving what God had promised him. Caleb, Caleb. Okay, going back in time, one more step. Uh, back, to, back to the days of, of Abraham. Abraham around 2000 B.C. Abraham's buried here at Hebron. He, he, he's buried here, uh, and not just Abraham. Uh, here's a picture here of, of a big building built by Herod the Great uh, just before Jesus was born. He built this big area, this big building, right over the top of the cave of, of Machpelah. Machpelah, which is the cave where uh, Abraham purchased to bury his wife Sarah. There's a little, uh, one of the little random entrances into the, into the cave, not the main entrance, which is obviously sealed up um, uh, after all these years. But, but this is one of the entrances into the cave of Machpelah. You can see this story in Genesis chapter 23. Above the cave of Machpelah, though, there's this now huge structure that, that's there. Abraham was buried there. He buried his wife Sarah there. Also in the cave was buried uh, his son Isaac and Isaac's wife Rebecca. And then also his grandson Jacob was buried there. And so was his wife Leah. So you, you have these cenotaphs now that have been put in, in that building right above the cave where, where, they, where they would have been buried and where, where their remains were. So that's the cave of Machpelah. To me, the, this air, the Machpelah here is the cave of faith. It's the cave of faith. It's the cave of waiting and believing that God will keep his promises. In their case, for the six of them, for the land, that the land would be given to them and their descendants, and also for the Savior, for Jesus, the, the promise of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Abraham had more than one son. But only one is buried in this cave. Isaac, the son of the promises, is buried here. Isaac had two sons, twins. Only one is buried here, Jacob. Jacob, the son of the promises about the land and the Savior, Jesus, buried here in this cave. Jacob had more than one wife. Only one is buried here, Leah. Uh, the, the children of his other wives, they, in, they, they get part of the land. But it's through Leah that we get to the promised Jesus, Savior of the world. 
This cave near, near Hebron, Machpelah, is for those who died whilst waiting for God to fulfill the promises about the land and the promises connected to Jesus, the Savior of the world. Hebrews chapter 11 writes about these people. And it says in, in Hebrews chapter 11, By faith he, Abraham, stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac, who's in the cave, Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, all buried here in Machpelah and Hebron. For he was looking forward to the, sea, uh, to the city that had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, also buried in this cave of faith, Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Cave of faith. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, and as innumerable as the grains of sandal on this seashore. These all died, these, these six people all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance and greeted them and confessed they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What's the, what's the spiritual lesson from, from Hebron here? I think it's this. Keep believing in all the long waiting. Keep believing in all the long waiting. Sometimes we doubt when the waiting gets long. Sometimes, we, sometimes the longer we wait, the more we doubt that God will do what he said he will do. Or maybe he didn't even say it. We just start doubting that God will do what he has said. Because God will keep his promises to you. He will not break a single promise. Keep believing in all the long waiting. Don't doubt. Sometimes, the longer we wait, we stop hoping. Don't stop hoping when the wait is long. We stop hoping, and maybe we do that in order to guard our hearts against the pains and against the disappointments and the unpleasantness of waiting. And so we think if we stop hoping, then it will, it will be less painful. The problem is not hope. The problem is that we aren't good at patience. The problem is not hope. The problem is we are not good at being patient over long periods of time connected to things we really want. I encourage you, in the long waiting, don't, don't practice burying hope. Hope is a gift. It's a gift for this moment. It's a gift to pull you through, to keep going. Don't stop hoping in order to guard your heart. Learn patience. 
learn patience and, and how to live through the waiting with patience and hope. By the way, biblical patience is waiting without rage. It's waiting without depression. It's waiting without wild angst. It's waiting without intense annoyance. Biblical patience is calm. It's faith-filled. It is expectant. It is enduring whatever needs to be endured for as long as it needs to be endured with the hope that God will certainly keep his promises to you and that heaven is certainly coming. Keep believing in all the waiting. Don't, don't stop hoping. Keep believing. Sometimes, the longer we wait, the more prone we are to doubting God's goodness. That, that he's good. We, we might be like, how can God be good and leave me in this place of suffering and betrayal and hurting and, and, and abuse or whatever? How can God be good and keep me in this awful place? David? David? Or how can God be good if I am wasting my years, my decades suffering for other people's sin when it's not my fault at all? Caleb, not only is God good, only God is good. Only God is good. Only God is good. Keep believing in all the long waiting. Don't doubt the goodness of God and the goodness of God to you. Sometimes the longer we wait, the more prone we are to doubting if God is actually real. Like, God, are you even out there? Do you even see me? Do you even exist? Is, uh, is there anything really out there? Don't doubt that God is real because you're, you're struggling with patience in the waiting. Keep believing in all the long waiting. As a reminder, David waited for 20 to 25 years, many of them painful and awful, while he waited in faith and anticipation of God keeping his promises to him. Caleb waited for over 40 years because of other people's sins, while he waited in faith, trusting God to give him what was promised. Abraham and family lived, waited all their lives and died, never seeing the fulfillment in their, in their flesh, but only seeing that it was going to come in the future. They never stop doubting God's faithfulness and his goodness. These are our examples. These are our examples that show us that we can trust God to bring things about in our lives perfectly. In his perfect timing, even if we have to wait for a very long time. All of our lives even. You're going to spend a lot of your lifetime waiting. You know that, right? Have you figured that out yet? You are going to spend a lot of your lifetime waiting. My encouragement for you today is to learn how to wait. How to learn, to learn how to wait with more patience. So that you can learn how to wait with more peace. Learn how to wait with, with patience while not losing even a bit of your hope. I hand wrote this in my notes earlier this morning. 
because I think this is for some of you. If you are feeling frustrated, angry, depressed while you're waiting for God to help you, waiting doesn't have to be so awful. Waiting doesn't have to be so awful. Patience is what turns unbearable waiting into a more peaceful contentment in whatever your unpleasant circumstances are. I bet some of you are waiting for something right now. I, I bet most of you are waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting for God to, to help you with your financial situation or your job situation or you're waiting for God to help you with your relationship situation or your relationship prayers. Or maybe you're waiting for God for some miracle of some sort or, or a big answer, prayer, a breakthrough in your life. Waiting prayers, waiting prayers, you're, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. You have been for a long time for, for your prayers to be answered. Like, waiting is a part of living in this broken world. It might be helpful to accept that waiting longer than you'd like to wait is part of living this life of faith. Waiting longer than you want to wait is just part of living this life of faith. Now, I encourage you to keep praying. I'm not telling you at all to be passive. Keep praying. Keep leaning in. Learn patience. Learn patience, but also learn how to pray with urgency, asking God to intervene in your life. But, but there's a big difference between waiting with patience and living with angst, anger, frustration, things like that. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope delayed makes the heart sick. Yeah, 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 it does. But desire fulfilled, answered prayer, the breakthrough that you always want is a tree of life. I mean, how true is that ancient proverb? So good, so right. I, I believe that if you are waiting for God's promises to be filled in your, fulfilled in your life, your, your hope is well-placed. It's well-placed. Look, look at what God says in, in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, you know, we read, Though they, But they who wait for the Lord. Is that your experience right now? Waiting for the Lord. For him to intervene. For him to help you. They that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you are waiting on the Lord, I implore you to practice patience and see your strength and endurance renewed. In fact, may, may God Almighty, may, in the name of Jesus, may your strength be renewed. May your energy be renewed in your season of waiting as you wait on the Lord. May that be true for you now in the name of Jesus. The challenge for us today is uh, I want you to think about three ways you see God at work in other areas of your life. Friends, this is just a fun fact for someone who's awful at patience sometimes, all the time, and I'm trying to grow on it. I, I haven't looked at my wife the whole time. I've been talking about patience. I don't want to see the eyes roll. She's probably dizzy from eye rolling, right? Uh, it's not my strong suit at all. I have wasted so many years of my life in angst and frustration and not appreciating the other ways that God is at work. Because I've consumed with this thing that hadn't happened yet 
and I was missing all these amazing things that were happening. So I don't want you to walk that same path that I've walked. Think about three ways you see God is at work in other areas of your life. Don't miss what God is doing as you wait for what he hasn't done yet. Let seeing the ways God is at work bring calm to your soul as you wait for what is still to be done. God will keep his promises to you, all of them. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that you would pour out patience on all of our hearts, on all of our souls, on all of our inmost beings. Patience. And I know that it'll be easy for you, we, we who have the Holy Spirit in us, who have given our lives to Jesus, um, one of the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives is patience. And so, God, bring that, let that, let that attribute grow in our lives so that we can, we can live in these, in these days of waiting with, with, with more peace and with more joy. I bless the growth of patience in all of our lives right now in the name of Jesus. And God... Not in any conflict with what I just prayed. I also ask for quickly answered prayers. Quickly answered prayers. We want to grow in patience. And at the same time, we ask for you to quickly answer our prayers. And we know that those are not in conflict at all. Answer quickly. Bless us with patience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.